you came then, hitching up your chariot, lovely sparrows drew you quickly over the dark earth, whirling on fine beating wings from the heights of heaven down through the sky and instantly arrived. And then, O my blessed goddess, with a smile on your deathless face, you asked me what was the matter this time, what I called you for this time, what I now most wanted to happen in my raving heart, whom this time should I persuade to lead you back again to her love, who now, O Sappho, wrongs you. If she flees you now, she will soon pursue you. If she won't accept what you give, she'll give it. If she doesn't love you, she'll love you soon now, even unwilling. Listeners out there in the hinterlands, welcome back. I'm Rock, and this is my co-host Max. And as always, we're going to be your guides as we explore all things supernatural at Nightmares and Daydreams. Hey, everyone. Yes, welcome. As you probably know, Rock and I are here today to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and magical. And fun. Oh, yeah, fun. Sorry, I forgot fun for a sec. You need to focus on fun, Max. That said... Do you want to know it's not funny? What's not fun, Rock? Finding the love of your life and then being cursed to never have them. Yeah, that would actually suck. Of course, Sappho seems to have a solution for us. Just pray to Aphrodite and she'll hook a sister up. I'm not sure I approve of Aphrodite forcing me to fall in love with some stalker poet. I mean, on the plus side, if you learn nothing else from all those romantic comedies, it's that once she takes her glasses off, she'll be the gorgeous girl no one ever noticed before. (laughs) <laughs> so you're saying she'll look like Rachel Lee Cook or Sandra Bullock or something, yeah? Nice. Sandra Bullock from Love Potion Number 9. Nice way to bring it back around to the mystical. Well, someone's got to keep this show on track. Also, I had Love Potion Number 9 on VHS. Old school. Huh. In fact... Nope. No movie reviews. Come on, man. <laughs> but speaking of old school, <laughs> that makes me think of Tristan and his alt. That's super old school. Classic Arthurian legend. Nice. And it was due to a mishap with a love potion that the ill-fated love was born. Exactly. Tristan had defeated the knight Morhold, who had come to Cornwall demanding tribute. But he was wounded, so he sailed to Ireland. Well, that's apparently where they went for healing in those days. Well, besides Guinness, they had universal health care, as well (laughs) as fancy druids with really nice crushed velvet green hoods and full lush beards that would probably administer great healing potions, huh? Exactly. So he got healed in Ireland. Yeah, Isolt the Fair healed him. Ironically, the niece of Morholt, whom he killed, and he knew King Mark was needing a bride, so he negotiated to bring her back. Maybe these two countries can finally have peace. Finally. Isolt's mom provided a potion that she and her husband should drink on their wedding night to fall in love with each other. Sounds like an okay plan. And both imbibers were presumably on board with it. But alas, it all went awry. Tell us what happened, Rock. When the day of Isolde's livery to the lords of Cornwall drew near, 
Her mother gathered herbs and flowers and roots and steeped them in wine and brewed a potion of might and having done so, set apart to Branjan. Child, it is yours to go with Isolt to King Mark's country for you love her with a faithful love. Take then this picture and remember well my words. Hide it so that no eye shall see nor no lip go near it. But when the wedding night has come and that moment in which the wedded are left alone, pour this essenced wine into a cup and offer it to King Mark and to Isolt, his queen. Oh, take all care, my child, that they alone shall taste this brew, for this is its power. They who drink of it together love each other with their every single sense and with their every thought forever in life and death. And Brandon promised the queen that she would do her bidding. On the bark that bore her into Tintagel, Isolt the Fair was weeping as she remembered her own land, and mourning swelled her heart, and she said, Who am I that I should leave you to follow unknown men, my mother and my land, accursed by the sea that bears me? But rather would I lie dead on the earth where I was born than live out there beyond. One day, when the wind had fallen and the sails hung slack, Tristan dropped anchor by an island, and the hundred knights of Cornwall and the sailors, weary of the sea, landed all. Isot alone remained aboard, and a little serving maid, when Tristan came near the queen to calm her sorrow. The sun was hot above them, and they were thirsty, and as they called, the little maid looked about for a drink for them, and found the pitcher which the mother of Isot had given into Brandon's keeping. And when she came on it, the child cried, I have found you wine. Now she had found not wine, but passion and joy most sharp and anguish without end and death. The queen drank deep of that draft and gave it to Tristan and he drank also long and emptied it all. Brandon came in upon them. She saw them gazing at each other in silence as though ravished and apart. She saw before them the picture standing there. She snatched it up and cast it into the shuddering sea and cried aloud, Cursed be the day I was born and cursed the day that first I trod this deck. Isolt, my friend, and Tristan, you, you have drunk death together. Death together. I guess I stand corrected. They weren't all in on the plan. Nope. See, this is why communication is so important, people. Especially when mixing love potions. They're dangerous things, people. Definitely. Who knows what untoward side effects might happen? I wonder how one makes a love potion. I mean, just asking for a friend. <laughs> sure. From what I've read, there are lots of recipes, especially in the medieval era. Like I read that if you pricked an orange with needles and then held it under your arm overnight, the person who ate it would fall in love with you. That's pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gotta love the taste of pheromones in the morning. Pretty gnarly. I honestly prefer coffee. But uh, <laughs> usually more complex and odd mixtures were required. Like if you mixed marrow, wolf's paw, ambergris, and powdered cypress, it created an irresistible perfume. 
And if my mind serves me, I saw this exact perfume on sale at Whole Foods. <laughs> exactly. Whole Foods is the only place you find organic wolf's paw nowadays. True that. <laughs> Thing is, though, in my opinion, sometimes you're just destined for a particular person. You mean like soulmates? I believe in soulmates. We're both lucky to have found such kick-ass partners in crime in this crazy world. Shout out to our ladies. Yup, yup. That said, the story of Waiku? Uh, first off, I'm not familiar with this Waiku person. So, according to Chinese lore, the god of marriage, Yu Lao, has everyone paired up in his book, right? Is this like an inescapable thing? Or is it like, this is who you would just be best with? No, it's who you will be paired up with. It's a matter of fact, like destiny. So much for free will. Right. Everyone knows there's no such thing as free will. It's all an illusion. Uh, you're wrong, but before we digress too far, why don't you tell us about this Wu K character? What's his story? It's Wei Ku, though. Well, hang on. It's Wei, Wei Ku. I'm going <laughs> to... Wu K. Yeah. I was like, Wu K, Wu K makes more, way more sense to me. It's just, it's just cooler as well. Okay. Like, what's his story? So Wei Ku's story dates from the Tang Dynasty. There's a young man, Waiku, okay. as we know. He's very bright and made it into the imperial civil service, but he was an orphan. And since marriages are basically all arranged by one's parents back then, he was not likely to get a good bride. First your parents die, then you get a suspect wife. <laughs> that dude can't catch a break. Yeah, I mean, he's not very hopeful. But then suddenly he hears from a friend that this friend has been lobbying for him with another man who has a gorgeous daughter. And apparently, the father of the intended bride likes what he's heard so far about Wu Kei. Oh, Wu Kei. <laughs> okay. Hold up. All right. So, Wei Ku. And that he's a good civil servant. Huh. Well, that's a good wingman, right? Yeah. Waiku obviously is eagerly waiting to hear from this friend. Uh, and just to boost his prospects, he goes to the temple to pray. Goes to church, so he's good, diligent, seems like an all-around solid guy. So while he's at the temple, he suddenly notices this old man with a book sitting right next to him. Doesn't know how he got in the room. Hmm. The guy says he's the god of marriage, Yu Lao himself. Of course our boy Ku has to ask. Am I going to get to marry this beautiful young woman my friend told me about? He only cares about the looks. I have a bad <laughs> feeling about this. Okay, so <laughs> Yu Lao turns to the W's in his book. Max, I don't think the Chinese marriage god's book was in Latin script. Huh? Okay, fair point. He turns to the way section, then <laughs> he, he scans with his finger, and no, you will indeed marry, young man, but not for 14 more years. The woman whom you'll marry is only three years old right now. On the plus side, 14 years gives him a good amount of time to create a nice house for his future wife, you know? <laughs> I mean, true, true. So then the god takes him to the marketplace and shows him the girl that he will someday marry. And it's this scruffy street urchin running around the market. They're kids, man. So... Needless to say, later in the day, Waiku was devastated, but not all that surprised when he learned that the negotiations had broken down. 
So let me just take a guess. He tries to take his destiny into his hands. Turns out this guy might be an idiot after all, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yes. In time-honored tradition, he, uh, he does indeed. He tries to have the little girl killed, actually. Jeez. Pretty horrible. Uh, when the assassin brings back a bloody dagger, he believes it's done. 14 years go by, and he's finally getting married to a beautiful young 17-year-old. I guess that's how they did it in olden time, folks. We're not endorsing old men marrying barely adult women, especially murderers. <laughs> I feel like uh, this guy really needs his ass kicked. Well, he thinks to himself that Yu Lao at least got the age of his bride correct, so kudos for that, but it is probably just coincidence. He's getting married to his veiled bride and is eager to finally see her. And that night, when she finally removes her veil, he sees she's stunningly beautiful. Her face is perfect, except for a very faint scar along the side of her forehead. She tells him, when I was a little girl, I was attacked by a man with a dagger in the marketplace. But once he had cut her, he couldn't bring himself to kill an innocent child. So the god of marriage was right. Yu Lao was right. Yes. Fortunately for Wei Ku who got his perfect bride in the end. And it turns out her family were, in fact, nobles. But her parents had died of cholera or something. And when he just happened to encounter her, she hadn't yet been taken in by the governor of the province yet. So she appeared to be a ragamuffin, but was not, in fact. Seems like Wei Ku got way better than he deserved. Well, as Clint Eastwood says in Unforgiven, deserves got nothing to do with it. I love that movie. <laughs> okay, Max. So if our mates are destined by the gods, short of running into one at church, is there a way to find out who we are meant to be with? Well, our ancestors thought so. Different cultures had different ways of doing so. And as with all such things, there were certain times and places that were more propitious for spells and omens that might provide the information one was seeking. Harkening back to our Christmas spirits episode, one ritual to see your future mate involve pouring hot wax through a keyhole into a basin of cold water. If you did it right, the face of your future mate would appear shimmering in the water. Oh yeah, I remember that. Polish rite, right? Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Another day would likely be Valentine's Day, yeah? For sure. Mm -hmm. Any other days come to mind? Uh, let me see. May Day, for one. Midsummer, two. Drunken Saturday nights at the bar, mm -hmm. three. <laughs> okay. I read about an interesting custom, actually... Um, that takes place on the eve of St. Agnes. Do tell. Okay, wait, wait. St. Agnes. That's January, yeah? Or is it February? January 20th, actually. Okay. St. Agnes is the patron saint of virgins, and young women in times gone by would bake what was called a dumb cake. A dumb cake? Yeah, so the entire time you were preparing it, you couldn't speak a word, or you'd ruin the ritual. And then they'd eat it right before bed, and supposedly, it would cause them to have dreams of their future spouse. Dream divination. Onaromancy. Very cool. Also, nothing like eating a whole cake before bedtime to put you in a deep sleep. The sleep only a massive amount of carbs can bring. <laughs> I've had this sleep many times. It's the sleep of the dead. Same here. We should do an episode on all forms of divination. That'd be cool. Wait for it, listeners. One of these days will teach you all the ways to predict the future. Vegas is gonna hate us. Speaking of divination, ornithomancy is another form. Bird divination? Exactly. 
Young women, it said, used to predict the trade of their future mate by observing the first bird they saw on St. Valentine's Day. That's cool. Blackbirds meant you would marry a cleric, robin, a sailor, goldfinch, a rich man, crow, a thief, <laughs> eagle, I like how, a bard. <laughs> I like how rich men have no trade. They're just rich. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just what you do. You're just kind of a man about town. But if the girl saw a woodpecker, Carpenter? No, but that seems reasonable, right? According to the lore, it meant she'd never marry. So could young men use the same technique? Nope. I guess back in the day, women didn't really have trade, so it didn't work. Lame. Oh, another way? Clovers. Clovermancy. If a woman put a two-leaf clover in her shoe, the first person she met on the road would either be her future husband or bear the same name. We deal with a lot of fanciful things on this podcast, but really rock. I don't think there's any such thing as a two-leaf clover. Yeah, I wasn't sure there was such a thing, you know. If there was, it would no doubt be in a bowl of Lucky Charms along with the purple horseshoes and blue diamonds, right? Exactly. Anyway, the only real way to find out about your future spouse is to make one of those foldy paper thingies from <laughs> elementary school. Dude, I, re- I remember those. It's like uh, you pick a color, a number, whatever, and then you find out who you're going to marry... You know, you might marry so-and-so and and have seven kids and a Ferrari and you might live in a shack or something like that, right? Dude, we used to do those that weird little ritual with my cousins back in the day. I'm still waiting for my Lambo. (laughs) But, you know, maybe we should save some of this stuff for our upcoming divination episode. How about another story? Let's do it. The seventh day of the seventh month is known as Chinese Valentine's Day, an auspicious day for finding your perfect lover. It often rains at this time of year, and this story, among other things, explains why that is. Once, there were of the many night sky gods seven sisters who decided to take a trip to the mortal realm. Because obtaining permission from their mother, the empress goddess, was unlikely, they just decided to sneak down without it. They had never been to the mortal world before and found it charmingly different from the starry majesty of their home. Among the many pleasures of the world, they found a small lake. Delighting in the feel of water and the way it reflected their home above, they disrobed and entered the water and were soon swimming around and splashing each other in delight. A young cowherd lived on a nearby shore and woken by the sounds of splashing and laughing among the goddesses, he came out to see what was going on. He saw them there in the water, and one goddess in particular he couldn't take his eyes off of. Smitten as he was, he approached Nu, and she fell in love with him too. According to the storytellers, they married and had two children together. And Nu's sisters now became worried for it violated the ancient laws of the universe that a human and divine being marry. They feared the worst, and soon, their mother did indeed discover the relationship, and enraged, ordered Jinu back to the heavens to resume her weaving of the velvety night sky. Mu Long was, understandably, distraught. He'd lost the love of his life and the mother of his children. Seeing his pain, his ox told him, if you kill me and wear my skin, you'll be able to travel to heaven and see Jinu. 
crying even more for the sweet ox he did as it said, and he took his two children and traveled all the way to the sky. The Empress Goddess flew into a rage at his insolence, presuming to counter the separation she had created. She made a large river in the sky between Niu Long and Jinu that he might never cross. But Niu Long truly loved Jinu and would not give up, even in the angry face of the Empress of Gods. Finally, her mother relented, if only a little, and permitted him to visit her daughter one night a year, the seventh day of the seventh month. And every year the magpies fly to the heavens to form a bridge for him to cross the river of the Milky Way. And when they reunite, Niu Long and Jinu and their children, and indeed the magpies themselves, weep in joy and sadness, making the rains that fall to the mortal world. So usually I say these kind of marriages never work, but it kind of did. Well, not really. Well, it would have, but Niu Long's mother-in-law is kind of a meanie. Watch your language, young man. This is a family show. (laughs) Just trying to keep it clean Uh for our younger listeners out there. (laughs) Good thing he had that talking cow, though. Yeah, I like how the cow just talked to him like it was no big deal and was like, kill me. I mean, that's how cows are. When they decide to talk, they don't make a big fuss about it. Mm -hmm. Really, though, he was such a noble ox, so self-sacrificing. Definitely. I hope he was tasty as well. (laughs) So when is the seventh day of the seventh month? Like July 7th? Well, by the Chinese calendar, the Shishi festival is in August. But it varies, I think, because it's based on the lunar calendar. This year, it's August 25th. Speaking of lunar, I just have to say, the moon, one of my favorite goddesses. The moon? Or the goddess of the moon? Like Artemis or whomever? Selene, actually. I used to talk to her all the time when I was a kid. You prayed to the moon? (laughs) Practically every day for years. Nice. I don't remember when I started, but pretty much I stopped in college, I think. Did she ever answer? That's the question. (laughs) No, it was more meditative, I guess. Or she was too busy loving on Endymion, I guess. A love story for the ages. Kind of creepy, though. Well, love stories involving gods are rarely non-creepy. And, you know, back (laughs) then, you're just a sweet kid wanting the blessings of a goddess. Well, until you got to college. And it was maybe a little creepy. (laughs) Unfortunately, even my sweet Selena. Yeah, whichever version of the story you pick, and there are many, she doesn't come off looking super great. Yeah, for you lovely listeners, she saw Endymion out night after night and fell in love with his beauty. According to some stories, he was a shepherd, although Pliny says he was an astronomer or something. Whatever the case may be, he worked the night shift. That's when the freaks come out, and, uh, (laughs) you know, the gods are freaks too. That's when they come out as well. Okay, let's not get too sacrilegious. Sorry, I forgot you're an acolyte. My bad. (laughs) All right. So in any case, she didn't want him to ever leave her. Like, she wanted his beauty around forever. Well, understandable, but never mind that he was never with her. True. Didn't, wait, didn't he and Hera have a thing going? Actually, yeah, he he did try to get with Hera. At least that's one of the stories. So then when Selene approaches Zeus to make Endymion immortal, either out of capriciousness or out of vengeance for Endymion having cuckolded him, depending on which story Mm -hmm. you decide to listen to, Zeus decided to answer her wish kind of perversely. And he said, yeah, Endymion will never age. 
because he'll never wake up again. Leave it to Zeus to be salty. Like that guy has no <laughs> mortal pillars to stand on. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. poor Endymion. He's like, I would never cheat. <laughs> exactly. And then you make poor Endymion, the immortal sleeper. Jeez. Yep. You'd think Selene would have learned from her sister's experience. Exactly. Eos, the goddess of the dawn, Aurora for the Romans. She loved Tithonus. At least he loved her back. True. She asked for Zeus to make him immortal, but because she forgot to ask for eternal youth, he just got older and shriveled up. Finally, she had mercy on him and made him like a chachata or a cricket or something. You're right, though. It does seem like whichever one of them was second, they would have learned a lesson from their sister. The course of true love never did run smooth. Dang, right. Whipping out Shakespeare on us. Mm-hmm. Elevating this podcast, folks. Yep. I'm not sure I'm qualified to co-host anymore. Midsummer Night's Dream, though. That's some madcap love storying. Way too long and confusing a plot to get into here, though. The movie's fun, though. Love me some Kevin Klein. I agree 100%. Stories within stories, plots within plots. I do love when Puck gives that guy a donkey head, though. Puck's my favorite character, and that was the best part. But hey, maybe we should tell another story. Not that one, but yeah. Romeo and Juliet? I think everybody knows about that one. Probably. Is there a cool love story that ends happily? Not likely, but let me see what I can do. Shakuntala was a beautiful woman the adopted daughter of the sage Karnva. She lived with him and her pet deer in a hut in the forest. One day, Dushyanta, the king of Hastinapur, came hunting in the forest. He saw the beautiful deer and shot an arrow at it. Shakuntala found her deer whimpering in pain and tried to comfort it. Shakuntala loved the animals of the forest, and her affection for the animal touched Dushyanta's heart, and he asked her to forgive him for his cruelty. She forgave him, but asked him to stay in the forest for a few days to tend the wounded deer. They fell in love, and King Dushyanta married Shakuntala and gave her a wedding ring with his name on it. The king then left for his kingdom after promising to return soon and take Shakuntala back with him. One day, Sage Durwasa came to Shakuntala's door. He repeatedly asked for water, but Shakuntala was lost in thoughts of Dushyanta and paid no attention. The sage, insulted, quickly grew angry. Known for his temper, he cursed Shakuntala, saying that the person whom she was thinking about would forget her. When Shakuntala heard the curse, she was frightened and begged the sage to forgive her. The sage said he could not take back the curse, but he could change it. So, if she showed Dushyanta something he had given her, then he would remember her again. Due to the curse, Dushyanta forgot Shakuntala. After days of waiting for him to return, she decided to go to the capital to meet him. On the way, as Shakuntala was crossing a river, her wedding ring fell into the water. A fish swallowed the ring. When Shakuntala arrived at the palace, the king did not recognize her. He asked her to prove her identity, but she didn't have the ring to show him, as it was lost. She wept and told the king about the time he had spent with her in the forest, but he couldn't remember anything. 
despairing, she left the palace. Ashamed to return to her father's home, she started living alone in another part of the forest where she gave birth to a son. She called him Bharata. He was a brave boy. He grew up among the animals of the forest and played with wild animals as brothers and sisters. One day at the king's palace, a fisherman brought him a ring. He told the king that he had found the ring in the stomach of a fish and had brought it straight to him. As soon as the king saw the ring, the curse was broken and the king remembered Shakuntala. He was very upset and hurried at once to her home in the forest where they had met, but of course she was not there. In despair, he returned to his palace. Years passed and the king was again hunting in the forest. There he was surprised to find a boy playing with a lion cub. The boy fearlessly held open the mouth of the cub and said, O king of the jungle, open your mouth wide so that I can count your teeth. The king went up to the boy and asked him about his parents. The little boy replied that he was the son of King Dashanta and Shakuntala. Dashanta was very happy to have found Shakuntala and asked the boy to take him to his mother. The family was united and Dashanta took Shakuntala and Bharata along with him to Hastinapur. Bharata grew up to become a great king. I love that one. Very happy ending. Even if it took the long way around. Yeah, it did take a few years, but they finally got to live happily ever after. The old ring in the fish trope. Yeah, I wonder how many times that's been used in many stories. I think a thousand and two times in the Arabian <laughs> Nights alone. <laughs> Hang on. Aren't there a thousand and one Arabian Nights? Exactly. Ah, funny. I see what you did there. The story, of course, is not Arabic at all. Yeah, in case you can't tell for the names. Exactly. It's from the Mahabharata, a great Hindu epic. Read it, lovely listeners. It's amazing. You know, the hardest part of this episode, honestly, was selecting just a few love stories from the gazillions out there. Yep. That's often a problem for us. But in this case, it was, you know, it was kind of doubly difficult. I really wanted to do Zal and Rudaba, which is a Persian love story from the Shahnameh epic. It's a good one. Zhao was the albino guy raised by the Simurg, yeah? Yeah, that albino dude. He was a great warrior. Ah, like Elric. <laughs> exactly like Elric. I mean, he could summon the help of a bird like Elric. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe we can do a magical bird episode and do that story. I'd love that. Podcast for another day, y'all. things up here today hopefully our tales of love inspired you be good to your loved ones folks and if not maybe our talk of love potions inspired you to become alchemist <laughs> and make some of your own if nothing else <laughs> do not try that at home people or at the bar actually yep, no super illegal and super uncool but do try this at home y'all checking us out on social media facebook instagram twitter Please visit our website at nightmarespodcast.net. Maybe buy an official Nightmares and Daydreams button magnet or some other golden trinket treasure. Nothing like some <laughs> retail therapy to help support our little podcast. And leave us nice reviews on whatever platform you choose. Please do. Apple, Spotify, whatevs. Mm -hmm. I know we keep harping on it, but it would literally mean the world to us. It would. So take that minute and share us with your friends. Yep, yep. 
please do. Our theme song, Calliope's Call, is by the inimitable Teresa Joy. Find and follow her at Viobrite, V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E, on Facebook and the Gram. Also, visit her website at TeresaJoyMusic.com. That's T-E-R-E-S-A, JoyMusic.com, if you'd like to purchase and peruse some of her amazing melodic works of art. And of course, as always, sweet dreams. 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 Sweet dreams.